Well, I hope you noticed a little bit of a disparity in those two songs following our, our time of prayer. The first one was In His Time, and, and the words are really encouraging if you think about it. Even though the, the melody and the, the tempo was so subdued, In His Time, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. And isn't that usually our struggle? Isn't that the one prayer we forget is to give us the patience and the courage to wait while you take your, make your move. And we talked about that last week when we talked about driveway moments. You know, we, we sit there and we're waiting for the next thing to happen. And God, who has all the time in the world and all the wisdom to know the best thing and best time for us, and, and we want to hurry and rush it. it. That doesn't always make the best thing. But then the next song, which seems so upbeat, really was the same message. And it says we're leaning on the everlasting arms. We're waiting for God to act in his time. A little more upbeat tempo. You guys sang a little louder. Honestly, you both, you sound great both times. So that's, that's awesome. But it's not just the tempo that sets the mood. It's the words. And I think you guys are, are getting that as we talked about waiting for God. So, and God's love for us is so special. It's so important. It's the reason that we can come here this morning and lift up our prayers and know they're being heard. It's the reason that we have hope for what's ahead of us, no matter what we're going through now. And so I, I titled this message this week, How to Ruin a Relationship. And, and it led to another one of those moments when the neighbors are driving by our church street sign and they're saying that and then what in the world is going on at Golden Beach? How to Ruin a Relationship? It was kind of reminiscent of last year's Thanksgiving message. Remember that? It was thanks for nothing. I mean, there's a good message. and I hope it draws people in, but, but they're probably going, what are they teaching over there at Golden Beach? And the full title was actually going to be How to Ruin a Great Relationship but it actually didn't fit on our sign. But thanks for coming and thanks for tuning in if you're listening online because we do have quite a few people that are listening and I, I uh, think that it shouldn't replace the importance and value of the full experience of a church service. But, you know, there are people in the community that, that are connected to this church that are still listening and still trying to connect to us and that's, that's an important thing. So. But, so thanks for coming to find out what's really going on here. Um, after one of the messages a few weeks ago, I was asked the question, is there an unforgivable sin? You know, we're talking about love being unconditional and forgiveness. And is there an unforgivable sin? So before I answer that, we're going to do a little review. This is going to be a congregational participation. So true or false, God wants a relationship with you. Yes. True. Becky, it's true, not yes or no. <laughs> um, true or false, God is sinless in nature. Much better. True or false, God is sinless in nature. Because God is sinless in nature, does he sin? He does not sin. Let me start that over. Because God is sinless in nature, he does not sin. True or false? True, but that's a trick question. God does not sin because he cannot sin. It's completely against his nature. How about this? True or false, God will forgive all of your sins. True. True. It's another trick question. What has to happen first? God asks for forgiveness. That's right. According to scripture, what is the maximum number of times that God will forgive you? Just shout it out. Seven times seven. Wow. Okay. I just didn't think anybody would know that. <laughs> okay. You guys win something. Um, get an extra cookie and lemonade in the back after service. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Um, in Matthew, Jesus shares the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. But in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, we find these words, these kind of teeing up stories. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, 
Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. There you go. Good job. 490. That's a number. That's the number. But actually, that's not really it. It's a number that symbolizes boundlessness, right? God's not saying at 491, we stop. He's just saying not seven, just think beyond that. And, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking in a message titled um, Add a Zero. We're going to talk about taking God and the way we box him in and limit him on what he does and knows and loves and all that. And we're just going to tack on zeros. We're going to talk about how extravagant this stuff is. So he does this. He says, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, right? And that seems like a lot, 490 times. I mean, should I forgive someone 490 times? My patience probably isn't there. And that seems like a lot. Um, but how many times has God forgiven you? Let's see, 365 days in a year. For me, I'm 47 years old, multiplied by the percentage of sin, which is my own information, not yours. Um, 490 is not going to cover it. It isn't. It's so good that we have a God that doesn't limit himself to numbers. So why should we limit him to numbers? And we've studied how this is the model of our own forgiveness towards others and ourselves. And we remember sometimes we're supposed to love each other and we're supposed to forgive each other. But sometimes we forget we're supposed to love ourselves and forgive ourselves. In Luke 17, 3-4, we find these words. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Okay, That doesn't mean beat them down. It just means hold them accountable. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You can see that God's forgiveness is limitless, but it's also conditional. The author of the gospel, Luke, repeats the same story, but he adds a condition of forgiveness, the same one we read, just read in regards to ourselves. And he states that church members must forgive boundlessly if there is repentance. If there is repentance, if there's that word again that lets us know there's a choice. If they repent, then you must forgive. If you repent, then God will forgive. It's a promise. His grace is unearned. His hope, it's eternal. His love, it's unconditional. But his forgiveness is not. So why would you not do the only thing he asks you to do in this regard? And the Bible speaks directly, to, uh, speaks directly of unforgivable sin. And I would also add this notion. The unforgivable sin is the one that goes unrepented. Okay? Those are my words, but that's based off scripture. It says, it, the unforgivable sin is the one that goes unrepented because he hasn't, you haven't given him the ability to do that yet. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Let's look what the Bible says about the unforgivable sin. And from this week's scripture, remember that Heather read, this is Mark 3, 28 through 29, and I'm using the common English version translation in order to to uh, make this point here. It says, I promise you that any of the sinful things you say or do can be forgiven, no matter how terrible those things are. That's good, right? Because we can do some pretty rotten things. He says, no matter, I promise you that, that any of the sinful things you do can be forgiven. And he says, but, but if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you can never be forgiven. That sin will be held against you forever. Now, I, that's a yikes, Right? We take courage and strength from the hope we have in the Lord. His steadfast love, it endures forever. We sing about this, we learn about it. But a sin that can be held against us forever, that's terrifying, right? Well, Reverend Dr. Tony Evans describes it this way. I won't do the voice, but he's got a magnificent voice for preaching. It says, in these verses, Jesus explained to the scribes 
where they were headed by accusing him of being in league with the devil. All sins and blasphemies can be forgiven by God. And this is scriptural, okay? It can be. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus had overpowered Satan, right? Jesus had overcome the world, we say. He defeated death, okay? Yet in spite of the irrefutable irrefutable evidence of the fact the scribes had attributed the deeds of the Holy Spirit to the ruler of demons, okay? The work of Christ on the cross can atone for terrible sins, but one who must believe in the cross to get the forgiveness, right? To claim that the authority and power behind Jesus is actually the authority and power of the devil is to reject God's salvation in the light of clear. Then this is guilt of the eternal sin. So think about that for a moment. The sin being committed as a rejection of the belief in the Holy Spirit, or worse, attributing its power and influence in our lives to something other than to the Holy Spirit. If you just read this week's scripture, remember, and take it at face value without any thought or examination um, of the context or meaning, you simply get, say bad things about God and he won't forgive you for doing it, right? And we shouldn't say bad things about God. He's got broad shoulders. When you get mad at him and you shake your fists and you just say, this is stupid, you're stupid, I can't believe I'm going through this, God's like, I can take that hit. Okay? This isn't that. But do you see how this misperception could be dangerous? To think that all we have to do is say bad things to God and he won't forgive us. Or to miss the true point. Because all we would really, all we all, because we all would really play the verse, Lord, I've never said anything bad about you. Which is probably not true. We probably have. And we'd really miss the warning. Or perhaps we err on the other side and say, okay, God, I'm not perfect. But I'd never deny you or your authority. I would never do that. I love you. I mess up regularly, but I would never say that you aren't who you are. I mean, has anybody said that? I probably have. And I'm not the first one to do it. Perhaps you remember the words from Matthew 36, 33 through 34. This is Peter. This is Peter who Jesus renamed Peter and said, I'm going to build my rock on on you. You are the rock, the foundation of my church. That's how strong your faith is. But Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Because Jesus said, my sheep are going to scatter. When things get tough, they're going to run away. And Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And what does Jesus say? Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. What a punch in the stomach that is, you know? But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And we know exactly what happened, don't we? God's inability to forgive that offense speaks to its seriousness and severity, but I assure you, actually, God is the one who assures you of this. That's not what he wants for you, remember? We already agreed that God wants a relationship with you. And Peter did that. He denied him, just as he knew he would, and he asked for forgiveness. And he did become the rock of the church. And the reason for the gift of the son, all of his teaching, the ultimate sacrifice, served to prevent this from happening, to prevent an unforgivable sin because we believe in Jesus and we believe in the cross and we believe in salvation. We are not blaspheming. We are not turning away from the spirit. We're recognizing it. But that being said, there are a few things that really do upset God. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. This is the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And you see, you hear the reflection of some of the Ten Commandments in these things. Haughty eyes, you know, that's pridefulness. 
lying tongues, lies. You know, God is a God of truth. It's not like lies. Hands that shed innocent blood. It's murder. Heart that devises wicked schemes. You know, and this one brings to mind for me vengeance. That's, when I think of wicked scheme, I'm thinking I've got to get someone back. And God teaches forgiveness, not vengeance. Feet quick to rush to evil. You know, that's, that's giving weight into our temptations. False witness who pours out lies. Again, God really expects the truth from all of us. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And this is rather broad, but God hates it when we not only get in conflict with one another, because he's a God of peace, but he really hates it when we stir up conflict. We talked about that in Bible this morning, about not only does it break his heart, it makes him mad when we do stuff like that. And he hates these. The Bible says he detests them, but he didn't say they aren't forgivable. The good news is this. If a person still desires forgiveness and confesses their sins, those sins will be forgiven and blotted out. And the Bible says that. It's blotted out, removed. God remembers it no more. Scripture tells us that he will remember them no more. And these are his words. This is his promise. And as long as you are under conviction, which is the Holy Spirit's job to convict you, to say, I'm not doing what I should be doing, and you want to be forgiven, then you are not guilty of the unpardonable sin. In fact, there's enough love and compassion and forgiveness in God's love for you that there's an abundant pardon for all of your iniquities. And that's more good news. 1 John, or 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 15, this is Paul, the apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I... Paul speaking, he says, was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We love this guy, Paul. He's written so many good letters and did so many wonderful things in his life. And we study his word and he really seemed to get Jesus and what we need to be doing. And his letters serve as instructions for us even today. And here he's saying, I was this stuff. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was insolent. And, and I, you know, and, and then when I found Jesus, he said, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. It covered all that stuff with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And then I love this. He says, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners because of which I'm the chief. He's saying, I, I really messed up. Now, he may or may not have messed up more than us or other people we know, but he's saying God has got this covered. Whatever it is, repent and you'll have forgiveness. And if you're having trouble feeling forgiveness, likely because you're having trouble understanding what true forgiveness is. And I'd like to help you that with that. And if that's something you're wrestling with, don't stay quiet. Come forward, ask. Let's talk or let's study because true forgiveness is removing, blotting out, separating. And we, we say forgive and forget and that's oversimplifying. It certainly is never that easy, is it? But there's a second part to forgiveness and this is that letting go part. But I want you to take a look at your life, especially this week. Is there presently a gap or even a wedge between you and God? You remember this diagram we studied a couple weeks ago? It was, you know, it was this cliff here. It was based on the Romans passage. And, and there's this gap because our wages of our sin and all of our um, 
pridefulness over here. And, and on the other side is God with the gift of life. And Jesus is the bridge. But if there's presently a gap there in your life, whatever it is, whatever, how big it is or how wide or how serious it feels, then you need to know a couple things. You know, God is still there and Jesus is still the way. Or perhaps there's a bit of a wall you've built to isolate your sin from other areas of your life. And we do this inadvertently. We love God, but there's this one thing. I want to really hold on to this anger thing. I really want to hold on to this thing that I really like a lot, whatever it may be. And we kind of build up a little bit of a wall and say, all aspects of my life are subject to you, God, but this, this is dirt. I'm just going to keep it over here. And we, we build these walls. And, and we do this inadvertently. We construct a barrier ourselves between us and God. So do you have any bricks that need to be removed? Do you hear the Holy Spirit calling you to remove some of the walls in your life so that Jesus can freely communicate and spend time with you? So why not follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit right now and ask him to break down those walls when we pray? We've already learned what to do, right? We just have to ask. That's all we have to do. Let's pray. Father God, you make life so uncomplicated. Doesn't make it easy, it's just so uncomplicated. You love us abundantly. You love us eternally. We have an unearned grace from you. And you offer abundant forgiveness with one stipulation, and that is that we ask for it. And God, let us not be like the unmerciful servant where you give us abundant grace upon grace. Yet when we need to extend it to others or even to ourselves, we are stingy with it. God, you call us to be Christ-like, to show the love and compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness of your son. And the way to do this is spelled out clearly in your word. God, help guide us as we continue to study your word, to learn how to apply it, to write it in our hearts so that we can hide it away, as scripture says, in our hearts. We can draw on it and know that we will not sin against you. God, as always, I just want to pray for this church. Beautiful, beautiful surroundings, particularly this time of year with the, the leaves changing. God, I want to pray for the empty places in the pews that you fill them with people hungry for your word, hungry for a relationship with you. We are an incredibly welcoming congregation. Let us be an inviting one as well. Father God, this week, our challenge is to love beyond measure, to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. We ask your guidance in all we do. We thank you for your steadfast love. Amen.